to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, COVID, resilience, anything that's relatable to those subjects, and anything that helps you, your organization, or your community plan and prepare for and get over adverse situations. Longtime listeners, especially on Voice America, will know that I was speaking at the BCI Virtual World Conference in uh, 2020 in November. And uh, for quite some time, I said, you know, it was my hope that I could get uh, to be able to interview and talk to some of the other speakers at that conference. Today is one of those days. The topic we're going to talk about today is organizational resilience within professional services, compliance in the supply chain. And I'd like to welcome to the show the speaker and presenter of that topic, Sarah Garrington. Sarah, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me. And it's a pleasure to be with you today. Great. Now, we've got listeners and viewers, because we're on YouTube as well, so that are literally around the globe. Yeah. You take a minute or two and talk about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I currently work in a UK-based law firm. So I'm the business continuity manager for Erwin Mitchell. Um, We have a number of offices up and down the UK. And um, that includes kind of in Scotland. um, And we kind of deal with everything that you could need a lawyer for, we can provide in the UK. Um, Prior to working for Erwin Mitchell, I actually worked for a bank in the UK as well. Um, I got into operational resilience and business continuity purely by chance. Um, I don't think that anyone kind of, yeah, (laughs) I don't think anyone kind of when they're eight years old goes, I want to be business continuity manager when I'm older. (laughs) So I I actually got into it when I used to work in facilities um, and it was being kind of passed around like who's going to, who's going to write as a business continuity plan. Um, and my manager at the time kind of went, oh, Sarah, that sounds like something you can do, right? Um, so I bought the um, Business Continuity for Dummies book. Um, I don't know whether you guys have that over yep. the pond. We, yep, yeah. um, I yeah, even have so, that book on my so, shelf. <laughs> yeah, it's behind me. It reminds me where I came from. Um, so, yeah, I got that book, read it from cover to cover, and then just thought, let's get stuck in. Um, so, yeah, it's kind of really grown from there. Um yeah, it's, it's, been, it's been a journey. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It, I'm always amazed to hear how many people fell into it by accident. I, I really, yeah. it just, it, it's so surprising. You know, I know. Even though we call ourselves, you know, an industry and we have standards and guidelines and ISO, BSI, DRI, you know, and yet still so many of us fall into it by accident. Absolutely. I think that that's actually... Um, one of the challenges in our industry in that, you know, it's not, it's not kind of established yet to a point where people do think, oh yeah, when I'm young, uh, older, that's what I want to do. Um, you know, and I think that there is a bit of an age gap actually, I, you know, in 
BCI and UK charters, a lot of the people that I engage with are, um, you know, quite a lot older and we don't have kind of as many people that are kind of in their 20s, fresh out of university. Um, and I think it, it is going to be interesting to see where the industry goes for, for kind of those younger generations because we need people to kind of come in and, you know, give us a, a fresh kind of view, I think, as well. Yeah, because some of us have been around for <clears throat> a while. Uh, you know, and uh, you know, it, it, it's true. You know, there there aren't a lot of young people, but uh, you know, I enjoy talking to a lot of the uh, younger people because they have fresh ideas. And, yeah. You know, I've always wanted to make sure the industry has fresh and keeps changing and looks at different ways of doing things. You know, sometimes the old dogs don't like that. You know, but it's Absolutely. like, oh, I do. You know, I want to learn some of the things. So. And I talked to some uh, recently, you know, a gentleman in um, Italy who uh, yeah. fell into it as well, but had a completely different way of thinking of how to do things. And I thought, that's what this industry needs. So Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the, the, the generation gap is, it's there, you know, whether anyone wants to admit it or not. But we're getting yeah. off topic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, so, it's so easy when I talk to people to get off topic and we, we you know, we just go on a conversation <laughs> but back to your paper or presentation <laughs> i should say uh yeah. organizational resilience within professional services compliance in the supply chain the the first yeah. part uh, i do want to ask is what do you mean by professional services industry who is that what does that entail so um for me i would class anyone that's in professional services as you know legal firms consulting firms you know businesses that kind of Advise, advisory firms go in and tell other businesses how they can kind of um, successfully do their, their job. Um, I think it's it's an area that is often actually overlooked in, in business continuity terms, but um, I find you get a lot of papers, a lot of kind of documentation that's very focused on manufacturing and then very focused on finance. But then there's this huge kind of gap in the middle that's this rafter of, um, you know, industries that support the kind of, I mean, certainly the UK economy, many economies, and they need to be equally as resilient to kind of keep, keep you know, the cogs turning for, for the wider economy as well. Um, so for me, it's, yeah, any of those advisory firms in the middle of that. You, you brought up an interesting point. See, now we really are going off script. <laughs> in your opinion, why do you think there is that gap? You know, why you know, there is such a, uh, a void you know, because a lot of these industries focus on finance and manufacturing, you know, yeah. and so many really aren't. Why do you think that gap exists? Um, honestly, I think it's because it kind of goes to the point that we were talking about before that I think it's, um, you know, the industry really needs to kind of mature and become fully embedded in every organization. I know that a challenge that I've had um, in previous organizations, you know, where I was reading that BC for Demi's book, nobody had the time to speak to me because they, you know, had clients to service and they kind of went, oh, you know, it doesn't matter because they don't have a regulator breathing down their neck saying you, you have to have this. Um, you know, in manufacturing, it is their bread and butter. You know, if something goes wrong, they can't complete their services. They can't kind of, you know, build things for clients um, or customers, I should say. And I think that that's where that gap kind of comes from, that, you know, you don't have, like I say, a regulator or somebody breathing down your neck saying, make sure you're resilient and prove to us that you are. And I think that that's where that kind of gap comes from. 
Now you talk about um, uh, the supply chain management. Why is it important to know, um, you know, the, why is it important to be aware of your supply chain? So I think that that's, again, something that's hugely overlooked in um, a professional services environment in that, you know, we are all dependent on, I mean, not so much anymore, but, you know, pieces of paper that come out of a printer or, um, you know, getting certain documentation or, you know, there's this whole kind of rafter of things that we need to, to kind of, um, you know, continue our business. And, I mean, it's something we'll kind of come on to a little bit more, um, you know, in a while. But the um, the Financial Conduct Authority, their kind of papers and the, the financial services regulators are really starting to ask the, you know, UK financial services firms to start looking at their supply chain. Because at the end of the day, it is, you know, a whole kind of chain that does need to be resilient. You're only as resilient as your weakest link. And that kind of goes for outside of your business as well as inside of your business. Um, so it's so important, I think, to kind of have that external view as well and make sure that you are kind of looking at, you know, all the people that provide your paper for you or whatever it might be that's critical for your business. We've got to understand how resilient they are because without that, you know, you're, like I say, you're as resilient as, as the weakest link. So we need to kind of make sure that we understand that and we can address that risk. Uh, you gave me another thought. Is it because um, some of these uh, professional services, you know, consulting firms and legal firms, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, they're the ones who are helping these bigger companies with their yeah. supply chain that, uh, you know, finance and banks and, you know, manufacturing companies are looking at these places to help them with their supply chain that it's kind of overlooked that, you know, legal services don't really have a quote supply chain yeah yeah absolutely and I think it's um you know it goes back to that point about actually who has the time to speak to somebody about how resilient the you know paper provider is using that example again um you know it's kind of that's somebody else's job but actually you kind of fall into that risk don't you it's always somebody else's job and never you know your job um, and, and I just think that actually, you know, without that kind of full understanding, how can we kind of guarantee that we are going to continue services to clients, continue, you know, supporting financial services or manufacturers or whoever it might be, unless we can kind of hand on heart say, yeah, we've looked at this and we know that we're good. Uh, I worked for one of those big uh, consulting houses way back in Did- you know, Y2K era. And not once, not once was there ever an internal view of our supply chain. It was always talking about our clients and what they were doing with yeah. Y2K and their suppliers and what partners, et cetera. And yeah. maybe, maybe yeah, it's difficult saying it, but maybe it's because those consulting houses, you know, they're um, revenue uh, driven. Yeah. So they're always looking at somebody else's stuff and not their own, but you know, some of these consulting houses are huge. You, they should know their supply chain. And hopefully... Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's the same that the, um, the professional services firm that I was working at that was kind of one of those consulting, um, you know, businesses. I, when I started this kind of resilience journey in my career, I never, I never looked at supply chain. I kind of was very focused on, you know, how many laptops do we need? And if the building, you know, goes up in flames, where am I going to put Joe Blogs? 
I never actually looked wider than that. And I think that, you know, partly that's me now learning um, and becoming kind of more mature and, you know, further in my career. But also I think it's kind of the view of the external, you know, of the organisation and, you know, what's the big risk for them? What are they kind of concerned about? Um, And sometimes it's really important to bring that to the table and actually show them what they should be concerned about, even if they haven't thought about it. Well, I think that's good, the, the way you said, you, you said the word maturity. And I guess, you know, once you have gone through a, a cycle or two for your organization, you know, how many laptops you need, you know, those kind of yeah. things, then you can start looking further out. You know, uh, otherwise, I, I guess maybe you run the risk of focusing so much on outside influences that if yeah. something happens, you're not prepared internally. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, um I think it's all about kind of identifying the biggest risks for your business, but making sure that you're um, fully kind of aligned with every risk that could possibly happen and then kind of choosing those that are most impactful. And I know that I'm sure a lot of people have been in this boat that I had people laugh at me when I said, you know, no, we need a pandemic as a a trigger point on our crisis management plan. We need pandemic down there. And people kind of go, that never happened. That's low (laughs) risk. Let's never prepare for that. And here we are. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting that, um, you know, even just a few years ago, everybody would say, you know, we have to look at our the, the scenarios and uh, that could hit us. And now that word seems to have been crossed out uh, with uh, the four-letter R word, risk, written yeah. instead. You know, no, just look at the risk, uh, you know, and impacts. Don't look at yeah. the scenario and how the scenario will play out. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's um, it is a kind of interesting. I think it has its benefits looking at things that way, as well as its kind of you know challenges. Um, I think looking at things that way will kind of help as an organisation kind of um, look towards what are the kind of things that are going to impact you the most. Um, you know, because as much as we are here to prepare the business for everything, if we can, um, you know there's no point kind of spending a lot of your time looking at something that's, you know, very low probability, low impact, when actually you could have something like a pandemic and it might be kind of very low likelihood, <laughs> but it's obviously got a huge impact and, and it's kind of important, you know, to, to make sure we are planning for those big impact events. Well, now now we need to get jump back into your paper because I know <laughs> you went off there for a while, but it was all great information. So thank you very much. In in your presentation, you talked about, and I want to get the words right, Financial Conduct Authority, FCA. Yes. Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so um, the um, one of the financial services regulators here in the UK. Um, so they are the one of um, the regulators that are kind of there for the big UK banks, um, you know, telling them how they need to operate and, and you know, essentially removing their license to operate if they don't comply with the FCA and um, amongst kind of a couple of other regulators as well. And just to clarify, it's just for the UK or are they a branch of something bigger or they have their, you know, um, paws, fingers into other, other nations and areas? No, so it's, um, it's what was the financial, um, the FSA, which was, a long time ago, um, where they are essentially kind of um, put in place by the government to kind of, you know, have that view and make sure that our kind of financial services are doing what they should um, and acting, you know, 
ethically and, and doing the right thing just generally to, to protect the end kind of customer. Uh, just out of curiosity, because, you know, uh, when I talk to people, I'm always yeah. thinking of other things. Do, are they involved with this um, new organizational resiliency um, initiative that's happening in the UK? Are they a part of that? Or yes. Are they the yeah. of that? Yeah, one of the drivers. So um, the, the SCA, the PRA, so Prudential Regulation Authority, and then the Bank of England, um, it was the three of them that really kind of drove this. Mm. Um, it came from, um, there were a couple of kind of our big banks um, who suffered outages um, and it kind of came from that that actually they thought you know we really need to kind of put a focus on this and make sure that we're um, driving from a regulatory point of view making sure that they're kind of on it um, and, and looking after like I said the, the end customer and then the UK economy in general as well. Okay I, th- I thought so it sounded like there were there was going to be some sort of a, a connection there so yeah. I'm glad you confirmed that. <laughs> On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Sarah Garrington today and her presentation from BCI Virtual World 2020 on uh, the topic of organizational resilience within professional services, compliance in the supply chain. And we'll be right back. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Tune in each week for the Labenthal Report with hosts Dominic Tavella and Michael Hartzman. The Labenthal Report keeps you in tune with market conditions, investment opportunities, and outlooks based on the stories and headlines to keep you in touch with your financial success. Are you picking the right financial path? Find out by listening to The Labenthal Report live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking with Sarah Garrington about compliance in the supply chain. Uh, Sarah, you mentioned in the first segment uh, Financial Conduct Authority. Now, they... Uh, published a paper, uh, I believe it was uh, in 2019, somewhere near the end of 2019. 
about some of the things that you already touched on. But uh, what did that paper contain and why was that paper even uh, necessary? So um, it was all driven on the back of, um, as I kind of said, the, a couple of kind of incidents that, that the big banks kind of suffered um, where, you know, people were unable to access their money, it had a, a huge kind of impact on their, their kind of customer base. Um, and so the three kind of regulatory authorities in the UK for financial services kind of thought, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, um, you know, put some regulatory kind of requirements around this. Um, and on the back of that was um, this paper that's been released. So it's not made it into kind of formal policy statement just yet. That's kind of expected in the next couple of months. Um, but the way that they like to do things is kind of give everyone a lot of warning that this is what's coming um, and allow them to kind of start to prepare. And I know a lot of the kind of big banks pension providers, insurers, people like that, they are actually starting to kind of get their ducks in a row to, to action what's in the paper. And what we've got is basically a view on how business is meant to kind of show their operationally resilient. The crux of it is to identify single points of failure, and that can be at a process level internally, um, within their supply chain, or it could be, you know, within a kind of change process as well. So to, you know, if you're kind of doing a business change, whether that's an upgrade to an IT system, a change of process, whatever it might be, making sure that you're kind of resilient at every step of, of that kind of journey. Um, the paper does kind of require banks and, or, you know, anyone kind of regulated by the FCA to start process mapping everything that they do um, and start trying to um, identify those single points of failure and whether they can kind of recover that process within a set length of time. Um, I think it's it's one of those kind of papers that it's asking quite a lot of, of businesses, but they've got a number of years to um, get it kind of in place. And like I said, it hasn't formally been released just yet. So there's a lot of time to get, get everything kind of lined up for it. Um, but yeah, it's mainly identify single points of failure and either accept them as um, you know, an accepted risk or address them. I, I was speaking with uh, someone else from uh, the BCI conference, uh, James Green. And he made reference to this uh, organizational resiliency, you know, FCA stuff. And he said it's uh, four or five years that organizations will have to make sure they're compliant with this. Yeah. Roughly the kind of time frame was he right? Yeah, I think um, it's, yeah, it's been, I mean, I've, I've seen um, three years being banded around, but um, it kind of depends on, um, on your kind of organization and, you know, what, level you're regulated to um but yeah it's a long time to get this stuff kind of in place um, but to be honest i think process mapping you know all of your client or customer facing activity is a huge undertaking especially mm-hmm. if businesses haven't got any of that in place um you know and you also need all the governance around it as well so how are you going to accept it as a risk how are you going to keep process maps up to date you know who who's going to kind of decide whether or not there, it is a single point of failure and how you can recover it. You know, there's a huge, the process mapping isn't kind of, you know, um, the main event. It's kind of everything that goes around it that I think it's going to take all, you know, all the time to, to really kind of get right. And, and then to put uh, mitigation in place and make decisions, uh, yeah. uh, plans, you know, alter your arrangements, whatever the case may be. 
when you've identified yeah. those points of failure yeah. and risk risk uh, pieces. Absolutely, and you know whether you want to kind of address them or not. So you know if you do identify a single point of failure, if you want to address that, and um, you know how does a business go about that amongst all the other things that businesses are you know trying to do, and um, obviously in the midst of dealing with global pandemic as well you know there's a lot of kind of business change happening right now for, for organizations and um yeah i think prior you know prioritizing the single points of failure and addressing that risk is going to be something that organizations going to have to think about quite hard that's a huge piece of scope yeah um the the other piece uh, with scope is who approves um, that final output? Is it the organization itself or is it, you know, FCA who says, yeah, you've met everything? So um, it's the organization. So the, they kind of expect at a board level for you to have that kind of buy-in and for them to kind of say whether or not they're happy with the output. Um, as with all of these things, the FCA kind of reserve the right to um, ask for your evidence and, and you know, do spot checks essentially on how you're kind of keeping up with these things um but it is kind of up to the board of each organization to accept those risks within their kind of current governance structure and or or seek to kind of invest and and change those risks to reduce them okay um so the next part that you talked about is what do your client arrangements say now what do you mean by that like a service uh, agreements that kind of thing or yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, what do your contracts say? Do you have, you know, so we're talking at a professional services level, if you are kind of um, providing service to one of these financial services organisations that has to comply, how can you support them? Um, you know, there is a risk that if you don't have to comply as a business, but your clients do, that you could, you know, lose that business if you're not compliant. Um, and so I think one of the things that we really need to kind of make sure that we're kind of doing as a professional services industry is, you know, tuning into those SLAs, contracts, just any kind of, you know, um, arrangements that you have with your clients to make sure that if they're expecting you to comply with anything, um, that you're on the kind of front foot and that you actually are starting to kind of action these things. Um, Don't you already have think- some of that anyway? You know, when, when you have a, a contract you know, that has an SLA, only from my limited experience with being in, involved with some of those, yeah, it, you don't you already have some of that in place? So what would be changing? So I think it's really important um, to make sure that, you know, the agreements are kind of kept up to date. But, you know, you have a lot of... Um, businesses I think that do kind of you know you've got a client that you've had for 20 years and that they're you know almost part of the furniture now but you just work together and actually does anyone ever look at the contract anymore does everyone you know or is it kind of one of those things that people just go you know that's that's just the way that things are done around here Um, and I think just kind of making sure that you've got your finger on the pulse and checking what you need to comply with and you know because there could just be some some tiny little clause in there that just says, you know, you need to support that client, um, you know, with compliance with their regulatory requirements. And just that little clause could actually be the, the trigger point that means that you need to implement this whole paper, even though you don't need to comply with it yourself. What other kind of things would you look at in, in a conference? Because I know, I know you listed a few, uh, uh, what do you call it, contract elements. 
Yeah, I think um, as well as kind of looking at the clauses for, you know, what, how you need to kind of support your clients, I think it's really important to make sure that you're kind of looking at how you're meant to kind of communicate with them in any sort of crisis or if there's any risk that you've identified. Um, a lot of client contracts will stipulate in there that, you know, you have to um, have a level of communication with them if you know something has gone wrong. Um, and just, you know, making sure that you review that regularly and if you do identify a single point of failure or identify a risk, make sure that you're kind of um, telling them to the level of your your kind of contract that, you know, what that kind of stipulates. Um, I also think that I'm personally somebody that believes in transparency generally. Um, and I think that, you know, just having a conversation with your clients about the paper is a really important thing to do. Um, if you don't have to comply, I think it shows that you're aware of their regulatory requirements and kind of how they need to operate their business. And I personally think that that kind of increases confidence in you and, you know, that you're willing to kind of go the extra mile to support them. Um, and I think that, you know, just having those conversations with clients is really important just to kind of say, what do you expect from us? You know, you're implementing this. So how can we support you in that? And, and actually, you might find that it gives you actually a competitive gain or a competitive advantage, um, you know, amongst other kind of peers in the industry, because you're actively kind of trying to support your client. Um, you know, and if you're part of a panel, for instance, it might be something that actually the client goes, and oh, nobody else asked us this question. You know, maybe we want to engage with this particular supplier a little bit more. You, one of the items you listed there was fines and uh, penalties. Now, um, I'm wondering, is that if you and I are doing business and I'm looking uh, towards you, is it I'm fining you or is it FCA fining you or is it we both could be fined, you know, this amount if we're, we're not compliant? So it would be, it would be you finding me, essentially. And, um, you know, if, if I'm not compliant with the contract we have, um, you know, there could be kind of some sort of penalties in that. But also there could be anything that's kind of around, um, you know, the whole view that we have as, as a kind of business in, like I said, what you know, let's have that transparent conversation because actually, you know, if you're feeling a bit begrudging, I suppose, of, of doing business with me in this example, um, you know, actually the smallest trip and you could go, right, that's it, I'm slapping that penalty and um, you know we're, we're not paying for x y and z because you've breached your contract and actually just having that kind of open transparent friendly conversation with your clients i think will really help um help businesses kind of avoid that staying on the fines and penalties if i don't have yeah. that conversation with you and i don't stipulate that um you know there could be fines and penalties to you by not uh, being compliant I can get fined then by somebody, right? By FCA or, or some other um, entity? Yeah, so you could get investigated, certainly, for, for non-compliance with your kind of regulatory requirements. Um, I think there's also a piece around insurance in there. So actually, you know, if you were making a claim on your insurance for whatever reason, um, you know, actually whether you could prove via your insurer that actually that was down to my negligence and if you could prove that then it could be the insurers that come after me um you know for for your losses essentially and if i don't do my due diligence it's my negligence uh, you know, yeah i will suffer regardless of what you did i didn't do what i should do 
right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you didn't you didn't check me out close enough and make sure that I had my ducks in a row. So actually, yeah. Okay. Uh, the next part, um, identify your approach and MI. Uh, what did you mean by approach uh, and what's MI? So management information. So what are you providing to your board to give them the relevant kind of level of information that they need to identify these priorities? Um, so when I'm talking about identifying your kind of approach, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, it's a huge undertaking, as we've said, there's a huge huge paper there's lots to do and um, and I just find where you're going to start start somewhere because you're one kind of step forward if you just do something rather than sit there and think about it and um, so I think just kind of identifying your approach and making sure that you're kind of clear on all the steps that are you know required of you and just making that kind of one step forward just to say you know we've done something we've ticked something off the list I think is really important and um, I think as well, it's really important to just kind of make a start on something and then, you know, work out whether it's the right thing to do afterwards or whether it needs tweaking. And, you know, we've got the skeleton of of what the kind of paper requires of businesses. So, yeah, make a decision and start on something. And if you do need to fine tune it as kind of the policy statements released or actually you just kind of get to grips with what you need to do a little bit more, then that's fine. You know, um, I think we can all get paralyzed by kind of indecision can't we so um make a step forward and then kind of see see where you kind of end up i think now who makes that decision because obviously this you know you were speaking of business continuity the conference and you know there's still a lot of people who say oh it's the business continuity person who took care of this so who makes that decision of where we start and what approach to take or who should be involved at least so I, that's at a board level again. So, um, you know, I think it's, you know, absolutely, if that's in the remit of the business continuity manager or somebody else, fine. Make that proposal because I don't think that the board's going to be able to do it completely by themselves. Um, so propose a way forward or even a few ways and then just ask them to kind of make the decision. And at the end of the day, it's them that's got to kind of be accountable and responsible for it. So I think getting their buy-in at an early stage by asking them how they'd like to approach it is is a positive thing. And and I assume, you know, not just the board, but uh, the executive team, you know, the C-suite, you know, yeah. I assume they're involved and have some sort of say as well, because they're going to know what kind of, um, if the board turns around and says, this is what we want you to do, C-suite needs to say, well, then we, we're going to have to hire 20 people yeah. to do to do this to meet your expectations and to comply yeah. right yeah absolutely and and you know i think that it's unfair to ask the board or even the c-suite to actually fully understand really um the nitty-gritty you know there's always going to be the doers and then the people that kind of you know sit at that level and i think it's unfair to um ask somebody at a c-suite or board level to actually fully understand each of the processes and and prioritize those and so I think it's kind of a bit of a joint effort but certainly you know go to that senior leadership level and get their buy-in and ask them to make those decisions and like I said whether it's to agree with a a number of different proposals you have or one proposal you know that's up to each business but definitely get their buy-in for that. Uh, Well we've come to the end of our second segment we are talking with Sarah Garrington today 
on the paper Organizational Resilience Within Professional Services, Compliance in the Supply Chain from the BCI Virtual World Conference. And we'll be right back. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Tired of the Get Rich Quick or How to Flip Home shows? Are you ready to step up your game and invest in commercial real estate? James Nelson, a top New York City broker, will show you step-by-step how to acquire, operate, and profit. You'll also hear from real estate legends on how they made their fortunes and industry experts on strategies for success. Tune in to Real Estate Investing, live from New York, on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, on Voice America Business. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullock. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back to the show. We are talking with Sarah Garrington about compliance in uh, supply chain. Uh, Sarah, lots of great information. Uh, let's continue talking about uh, this paper and what it's looking for. Yeah. Um, The next part is, uh, what business services are your clients going to ask you about? Yeah, so I think um, if we're talking about, you know, professional services organisations, as we said, you know, you might not need to be compliant with the FCA paper, but your clients might be. And so I think, like I said, it's a huge undertaking. So actually trying to prioritise the business processes that your clients will, you know, need from you, I think is a great place to start, obviously. Um, you know, the, the sort of processes that you kind of provide to your clients, whether that's um, to support one of their kind of critical business processes, or if that's just something that, you know, your clients are particularly interested in, you know, the way you operate, I think is the brilliant first place to start. Um, and, you know, try and deal with the rest of it afterwards, but definitely prioritize those um, before you get into the nitty gritty of anything else. Quick question. Can yeah. Leverage, uh, if if an organization has a traditional business impact and analysis, can you leverage that if it identifies yeah. all the processes? 
Absolutely. Um, so I think it, if you've already identified all of your processes and actually they are, um, you know, in your view, kind of finalised, absolutely use those. There's no point, you know, reinventing the wheel. So if you've kind of captured all of your processes and you kind of say these are the ones that, you know, service that particular client, then, yeah, absolutely use that as your starting block. Um, I think it's, you know, there's no point making it more difficult than it needs to be. It's already going to be quite a chunky piece of work. Yeah. So, um, yeah, let's keep it simple. If you've already got that information, use that and start from there. Okay. The, the next part you touch on is identify your impact tolerances. Now, there's all yeah. discussion about that. How do you <laughs> determine your tolerance, uh, you know, high, medium, low? What does that mean? Because high, medium, low can be different for wherever you are in this process chain. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is something that's actually for the purposes of the paper and more closely aligned to your RTO. Um, of your kind of process so the um, impact tolerance is kind of you know how what is your absolute tolerance for for this process failing Um, you know and that could be the same as your RTO or it actually could be longer than your RTO because your RTO could be you know blue sky I want this process back in eight hours but actually you know the business would fall over if it's not back in a day and Sorry, I was just going to ask, is it the impact on me or the impact on the uh, the vendor, you know, my, my supplier, or yeah. is it the impact they, if they have a situation and then the impact back on me, some co- combination of all of it? It's pretty much all of it, to be honest. And um, so it's, if we as a business had some disruption to this process, how long could we go or how much impact could that have on us? And that could be impact to our clients. It could be impact um, to the UK economy. It could be impact to, you know, our colleagues and their health and safety, um, you know, and, and how long or how much of that impact can we tolerate basically before, you know, it all goes kaput. And um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of a mixture of all of those, but yeah, thinking more widely about, you know, um, if you use a data breach as an example, you know, if one of your processes went wrong and, you know, you can say, I'll tolerate two records going awry, but actually by the time it gets to 10 records, then that's, you know, that's end of the game for us. And, you know, it's kind of identifying what does that impact mean and what does it look like based on the process. Is that that kind of a little bit scenario-based though? Yeah, Yeah, so I I think it can be scenario-based. So you need to kind of make sure that in a range of scenarios, your your process can continue. Um, So like I said, whether it's a a data breach, whether it's health and safety, whether it's just, you know, a client service, um, you know, you just need to make sure that you, in a range of scenarios, can continue your process up to your impact tolerance. Okay. Now, you you talked about this already, a process map. How do you go about creating that? What is that supposed to look like? Because, you know, I, I when I think of a process map, I think of, you know, Visio with, the, you know, boxes everywhere, yeah. lines everywhere that most people just can't read. Yeah. So how do you go about creating a process map that people can understand? Yeah, I think it's a really, it's, it's a really difficult, um, you know, thing to actually do for businesses. And, um, you know, some people have got the luxury of a process team. 
um, who do that. That's their bread and butter, and that's fantastic. Utilize those guys because that's what they're there for. Um, but yeah, like you said, other people don't. So I think you know I'm the same as you that I I I'm a bit geeky. I love a physio. It shows me exactly what I need to know. And it's I find it quite um, easy to kind of demonstrate to people. You know, they say a picture says a thousand words, and mm-hmm. I find a physio kind of has has that effect for me. Um, so I would encourage people to use visios if you can. Um, but you know, actually, sometimes just drawing some boxes on a Word document or a PowerPoint or whatever it might be, however it kind of works for your business, um, is absolutely fine as long as you can kind of evidence that you've considered where your single points of failure lie and then you, you are addressing those. Would that be, and I'm not going to hold you to it, you know, I, I'm not, <laughs> this is exactly your suggestion for everyone, but would you yeah. keep that kind of high level so that people can understand it without getting into some all that uh, minutia detail, you know, that you see on physio diagrams that come out of, you know, IT, you know, which yeah. have a thousand boxes on it and lines you can't even follow after a point. Yeah. So, <laughs> so um, the way that I personally have been uh, kind of addressing this is looking at the, um, you know, all the kind of inputs to your process. So whether that's data information, whether that's IT systems, um, you know, that's people, suppliers, you know, all the different things that kind of feed into a process. And for me, it's kind of looking at where all those elements touch on the process. And I like swim lanes um, on your visios because I think it's easier then to kind of see where it's going and whose responsibility Uh, it is. I'm the same way. Give give me a swim. It's easier to to go through and get flying. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, also you might find that some of your processes or some components are actually the same across multiple processes. So rather than kind of copy and paste the same bit over and over, I find it useful to just have a process map for that section and then reference it. Um, and, you know, you're only then keeping the kind of bits that are individual to each process separate. And then I find that that's easier to, to follow. Um, but you do need to make sure you've got a kind of good referencing um, and storage and, and, you know, a good kind of framework that sits around it. Um, but you don't want to end up with, you know, a piece of paper that's 10 miles long with all your different lines going across it because you could end up with that. That, that's where the uh, IT part comes in. You know, you're yeah. you're doing the process, but you're not. And I'm assuming. I hope I'm assuming correctly. You're not mapping out the IT network framework behind it, right? No, right, yeah. So it's just um, the way that I'm addressing it is kind of saying, right. So I use um, Outlook for this, and it doesn't need to understand Exchange servers and data centers and all those things that sit behind it it's just outlook so the kind of end user facing application um, and then all the rest of it i think can kind of sit within the dr program or wherever you know in, in your business it sits um, but yeah not all the underlying infrastructure just the end user facing application now i i know we we've only got about uh, six minutes left but i do want to touch on this one a yeah. test to identify weaknesses. So I'm assuming you've got everything mapped out. You've had your meetings. Yeah. You know, people agreed this is our process. Yeah. How do you test it for weaknesses? 
So um, that's where it comes to apply those scenarios. So um, the FCA is very much of the view that a failure will happen, not might happen. So prepare for everything that's kind of in your risk register and, you know, that's relevant to that process. So identifying weaknesses could be, you know, sitting down with the, the group of kind of people that do that process. And I think it's relevant to kind of have a cross section. So, you know, have your C-suite member, but then also have some kind of middle management, have some of the, you know, the doers and make sure that, you know, if you say, okay, if I remove your Microsoft Outlook application, how are you going to get around that? And can you still service your clients to your impact tolerance? So it's almost like, um, you know, and be quite visual with it if you want to, you know, taking a box away from your Visio and saying, right, I'm deleting that box. Now, what do you do? And what does that look like? And, and I assume you, you document findings and, can, you know, either contingency yeah. or mitigation plans. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And lessons learned and, and making sure that if you kind of say, right, we can't continue this process without Outlook, um, you know, make it and we've got we can't use the phone. We can't use anything else. And, um, you know, making sure that then you kind of move forward and seek the relevant investment, you know, if you need to to make sure that you've got always got outlook or you've got a different kind of contingency. I think that's where getting that board buy-in comes into it and making sure that they're kind of able to, to kind of see why investment needs to be made if it needs to be made. So after all of that, you started at the board, you go through all that you've done, you've tested and yeah. you end up back at the board. And yeah. she brings us to the last point you had, communicate and embed, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, communicate kind of across your business. So, yeah, like we said, having that kind of cross-section of individuals and making sure that they're, you know, comfortable that this is accurate. And somebody's got to take ownership, which I think is the embedding part. You know, there's no point in loads of effort into process mapping everything here in 2021. And then by 2023, actually, we go, we don't do that anymore. We've got a different system. You know, you really need to stay on top of it. Um, and communicating is both kind of internal within your board, your colleagues, etc. But also, I think, with your clients again. So going back to them and keeping them up to speed and saying, yeah, this is what we're looking at. This is how we're, you know, doing operational resilience. Is that okay? Do you want anything else from us? Do you expect anything from us? And, you know, closing that loop again to make sure that, you know, you're allowing your clients to feed in Um and they might want to see some lessons learned. They might want to kind of see, um, you know, what you perceive your weaknesses to be. And I think, again, I'm quite transparent, but I think that's okay. Because then, you know, if it's something that's going to put you at risk of losing the contract, let them feed in. So actually you can say, yeah, we really need to address this. And again, seek that investment. And you have to incorporate uh, change as it occurs as well, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so whether that's like, you know, business change and actually you're looking to do a system upgrade or, you know, like I said earlier, change business process. Um, but it could be external change factors as well. So, you know, if actually your whole business goes into the cloud rather than a kind of on-premise physical data center, um, you need to make sure you're building that in. And also thinking about resilience when you're starting these kind of changes. So, um, you know, get your project manager in the room and kind of say, what, what are you doing? And making sure that you're kind of comfortable as the owner of the, you know, the whole program, that what they're doing is going to make you more resilient and not put your business at risk. 
Okay. We've got uh, two minutes left. Do you have any, uh, take a minute for any final thoughts? Yeah, I just think it's um, it's really important, not only with this kind of paper, but just for businesses generally to make sure that they are thinking these things through. I've always felt, um, you know, having a typical and old school business continuity plan, you know, leaves so much room for improvement and so much more, you know, like let's learn about the business and let's make it more resilient, just, you know, wider than just having a piece of paper. And I think that this, um, you know, regulation will really help businesses get there. And I think it's actually the way that the industry is going. And I think that's a really positive thing. Great. Well, thank you very much for sharing your expertise and time. I, I know this paper has been uh, referenced a couple of times now with people that I've spoken to. So yeah. I'm sure this is going to have a, a big impact on the industry as we go forward. And yeah. um, just like some other regulations that come out, ISO or whatever, I think it's yeah. going to um, probably have an impact outside of the UK as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think other organizations are going to take a look at this that are based in, you know, the EU or, you know, here in Canada or the U.S. Yeah. Or beyond. Uh, I've got a feeling it's going to have a much further reach than just the U.K. I agree. I agree. And I think it's a good thing, but I'm biased. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you once again. Uh, and congratulations on your uh, presentation at BCI Virtual World. You. You know, uh, uh, to everybody watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.